has uh, ooh, been a blessing to be here. I don't want to hear myself that much. That is, uh, I, you know, one of the worst things, just to kind of go off on a tangent here, one of the worst things about being a missionary is you have to watch your video every time. You have to hear your voice, you have to see your picture, and it just kind of, you know, ruins, uh, ruins your appetite. Um, but it has been a blessing to be here, and I've, I've enjoyed the, the fellowship, and <clears throat> being in the back after church and just talking. I don't even know how long everyone's talking. That must be normal for you guys. That's not a normal thing at a church. That is not normal. And I'm, I say that as being, it's a good thing that you guys do that, I mean, right? I'm not, like, condemning you. That's amazing that the fellowship and everybody was here talking, and uh, that's what a church is about. It's, it's about fellowship and being close and uh, strengthening one another in the Lord. And um, one of the things I believe a lot of local churches learned through the pandemic was the importance of gathering and being meeting together. Uh, nothing can, can beat that. Um, and that, that's what the Lord intended. The Lord created us as relational beings. Right? We were made to have relationships. It was not good that Adam was alone. And so he made someone... Uh, to be a helpmeet for him, uh, to fellowship and commune. And that's how we are to be, to fellowship. And, and if church is not a place of fellowship, then we've got, we're missing out on such a wonderful aspect of church. That was encouraging to me uh, to come to church and, and uh, to uh, get stuck talking at the table. I really do love that, and to see everybody talking, um, that's an encouragement. But I've enjoyed the time with Pastor and uh, the, the fellowship, the gift cards, uh, it's just, it was overwhelming to get all those and um, humbling and we're grateful for the many gifts and uh, the food last night. I know you that was a little selfish last night with the food. You didn't just do that for the missionary. Uh, you got a piece of it. But I'm grateful for all the cooking that it went into it um, because I was a very uh, willing participant of that food last night. And the only issue was pastor had me speak afterwards. So I can't really, you know, fully dive into the food right before I preach. So I was holding back and by the time I was done, I was, you know, I was not uh, able to get any more, but it was some good food. I'm grateful for that. Let's turn to the book of Luke, if we would. I, I have not preached this sermon. Um, I've preached it at our home church, uh, but I've not preached it on the road. And it's, it's, I think it's kind of a heavy sermon. Uh, it's a heavy topic. Um, I think sometimes it can be difficult to hear. I mean, well, I know it can be difficult to hear uh, because the Bible gives us examples of, of it being hard to hear. Um, but it's, it's what the Lord, I believe the Lord has, has led me to preach. Luke chapter 14, if you would. I promise I'm not going to be long. I don't want to take all your time this evening and, and uh, the powers in the word. It's not in the length of time we use to, to, to preach. And I'm not against preaching long, but uh, I'm not one to preach long just to preach long. Um, and maybe others would disagree with me there on me preaching long. But uh, Luke chapter 14 is, is a, we could really go to many passages in the New Testament looking at Jesus and his interactions with the disciples. And I talked a little bit last night of his, his maybe I didn't, his ministry on earth. Uh, he came to earth to fulfill the law, right? There, there were many aspects to God coming to earth um, in the form of a servant, a likeness of man. 
Uh, one of the, and we understand the main reason was to offer himself as payment for our sin, uh, but he accomplished many things while he was on earth, and one of them was to train disciples and to teach disciples. Um, and there are some very interesting interactions throughout the New Testament, the Gospels, where Jesus is teaching them, and he is teaching them hard things we're going to look at later on. Uh, but we're, we're going to start in this passage and, and kind of look at these different points in Christ's ministry where he had dealings with disciples. And disciples is a broad term. Don't, don't limit it to uh, the 12, as we would usually think of, right? Disciples is a broad term. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that. Before we do, let's, before we read this, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him uh, to bless our time here tonight. Let's pray. God, we need your presence with us here tonight. God, I pray that you would help us as we hopefully have open hearts and open ears, open minds. God, I, I pray that they're focused on your word. Um, help us to hear. Help us to be um, willing to take the truths that we hear from your word and apply them to our lives. Willing, be willing to ask ourselves hard questions. Be willing to be introspective, look inward and see um, where we stand. God, I pray that you would help me as I preach to be clear. Help me not to add anything to your word, God. Uh, I pray that, that I would say the words you would have me say. And we are so grateful for your love for us, God. Your desire to use us, each person in here, you have a great desire to use them for the furtherance of your kingdom. And I, and I pray that each person would be willing uh, that they would offer themselves to you. God, to be used as you see fit, whatever, whatever it might be, I pray that we would be willing. We are so grateful for your love, your long suffering towards us, your patience uh, towards us as we um, stumble and falter to follow you in the way we should. Bless our time tonight, God. In your name we pray, amen. Luke chapter 14, verse 25, we'll start here, that song right before the service, uh, 482, what was it, the hymn, take, uh, where he leads, out. yes, thank you, where he leads, I'll follow, um, take my cross and follow, uh, that's really good, and we see that here in this passage, verse 25, it says, and there went great multitudes with him, and he turned, this was, this was common, the multitudes followed Jesus, you follow someone who uh, has something to give, and Jesus had something to give, healings and um, for, forgiveness of sins and, and so many things. And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me, cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest haply, after he hath laid the foundation, and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build, and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first, and consulteth whether he is able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand? I think we're seeing that now in uh, our current time. Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassador and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be 
of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Christ is restricting those or limiting those who would follow him. That last passage, he cannot be my disciple. We think of Christ as being open arms. Now, now let me, let me, let's define something here. A disciple, we're not defining a disciple as simply a believer. You could be, or you can be a believer and not be a disciple of Christ. A disciple is someone who makes the choice to follow Christ, as the song said, wherever he leads. That's what a disciple is. And so there, there are many believers who are not disciples, whether through their own choice or whether through uh, their own in, in, uh, inability to understand what they're supposed to do. Many people have made a choice to not be a disciple of Christ. And, you know, I, well, I won't get there, but it, it, this is a choice that we have to make. You know, sometimes we think of Christ as having these open arms and, and, and saying, you know, I, I welcome all. And he does. He is not willing that any should perish. Please, please don't get past that verse. That is the foundation of the very nature of God. He is not willing that any should perish. And salvation has been made available to all. And all who would receive it can receive it. There is no limiting to the salvation of God. But when it comes to a disciple, Christ here is restricting who can follow him or who, who would follow him, can't follow him. He says he cannot be my disciple. There are those who cannot follow Christ. And he takes this passage and he really defines or he, or he sets the boundaries as you would. Uh, here are the boundaries. And if you are within these boundaries, you can follow me. But if you are outside of them, you cannot follow Christ. There is a cost to being a disciple. We can look through the life of Paul and see the life of a disciple is not, it's not glamorous or grand um, in the nature that we would think it. Right? And this, this comes from the, the, I would say, the worldly perspective of looking at things. Being a missionary is, is not, or being, being a f in full-time ministry, and I don't want to limit, that's not a disciple. You can be a disciple without being in full-time ministry. But, but just to kind of set an example here, the life of a missionary, as I understand it, well, I can, I can say even on deputation is not very glamorous. We have two days a week that we're in churches. Do you know what we're doing the other days? We're driving we're sitting in a hotel room. Uh, can I tell you the spirit of the family in the car sometimes is not the best, to be honest. Sitting in a hotel room, and I could uh, write down a list and, and give you a two-page list of the complaints we've had from the front desk. Usually when they put us on top floors, and I always say, well, you know, you did it. I didn't, you know, you put me on the top floor. Six kids on the top floor. How many complaints we get, noise complaints? The life of a missionary, there are, it's mundane many times. Uh, filling up with gas, driving eight, nine hours a day. It's not some glamorous, wonderful, wonderfully vibrant life uh, in, in the way that we might define 
that. It's simply following wherever Christ leads. And sometimes we, we choose or we say, I will follow you wherever it may lead, but we, we define or, or, or we limit wherever it might be. Uh, when I was 11, and if you watch my video today, you heard me talk about the influence a missionary played in my life. I was 11, and we had missionaries in our home from the time I was as young as I can remember, probably three or four. I remember the first missionaries. I think they're still in England uh, to this day. Came in our home. They had dinner. We had dinner with, I could tell you even the dinner we had, I believe. Um, but, it, you know, it, it was a big deal. We always had missionaries in. We'd have missionaries stay with us. Uh, for weeks at a time, they'd stay in our house. My parents would always give up their bedroom uh, and let the, the missionaries stay in their room. And they would, I don't even remember the rest of that, like where, I, I guess we slept in the living room. There's four of us kids. Uh, we'd have families of 12 stay with us. We always had missionaries in and out of our home. So it, missions played a big role in our life. But when I was 11, the Lord started dealing with me specifically about surrendering to him. And I remember this this battle that was waged as an 11-year-old who's not really a, a good combatant at all, but I was waging this battle against the Holy Spirit of surrendering to him. And I wasn't willing. Christ wanted me to surrender. And this moment in time, and, and I understand surrender is a daily thing. This was something, this was a big deal of surrendering, offering myself to be used of God in whatever way he saw fit. Um, and and so I would go down to the altar. It was kind of, I think it was a conference. I don't know how long a time period it was, but I know it was multiple services um, where I usually was in the balcony um, because, I mean, it was just uh, it was a pretty big church. It was a missions-minded church. And I would come to the altar, and I would pray, and I would offer myself to Christ in one specific way. And so my first prayer was like, God, I'll be a, a pastor, um, but not a missionary. That was kind of like my first prayer. And do you, can, I, can I give you some insight? The Holy Spirit didn't stop convicting me after that because that's not what he was looking for. He didn't want, he didn't want you know, my, one little aspect of my life. So then the next day I go down. And, and it, it started broadening. And I, this is really how it happened over the course of you know, maybe four or five services. And uh, I guess it was over the course of a week I got to the point where I said, okay, God, whatever you want me to do. That's what he's looking for. That's what it means to be a disciple. It's to offer ourselves as Isaiah did, as Pastor mentioned this morning. Do you know how Isaiah, Isaiah saw himself before he offered himself to God? He, is, he was worthless. He was undone. I'm, a, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. Why? Why did he seem that way? For mine eyes have seen the Lord. A disciple is one who offers himself to Christ and said, Christ, I don't know what you've got, what you can do with me, but here I am. And Christ says here, he says these things that are really hard to take. He uses these words, right? And they're English words. I didn't look into the Greek to see uh, what they have there, but it's pretty clear here. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. 
what is in the way? I, th- I think that's where we can settle on this. What is, in the, what is in the way of us and God? Who is in the way of us and God? Three years on deputation. If I would have gone to the mission field three years ago, I don't, absolutely don't believe I would have made it. I was not ready. The Lord has been dealing with me and he has been, and I tell people this, he has been trimming the excess off in my life. He has been getting, a, getting a, a, causing me or leading me to get rid of things that don't matter in my life and surrendering them to Christ. Right? I was surrendering to the mission field. I was going, that's not, that's, that was not the end all. Right? There are things in my life daily that I need to surrender to him, and he has got me to this point of offering it to him and say, okay, God, here you go. Here it is in my life. What, and and if, it, if I don't offer it to him, it becomes very clearly an idol in my life, holding on. And there are things that I struggle with in this passage. Am I willing to offer to the Lord? Was my cousin Michael willing to offer his wife to the Lord? And I think just in his spirit, it seems as if that was something he was willing to offer to the Lord. Being a disciple is about asking ourselves hard questions. It's about saying, God, I don't know what's next, but I'm willing to follow you wherever it might be. Those disciples in Acts chapter 4, the church in Acts chapter 4, when they chose to, despite the pushback from the Jewish leaders, to preach boldly, that was a disciple willing to go wherever God led them, despite what was going to follow. And these parables that Jesus speaks here, to get down to it, it's a simple concept, right? Uh, He talks about counting the cost. Verse 28, for which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost? What's it going to take to build the tower? What's it going to take to be a disciple? And if it's not, and if we get, don't get to the point where we say, whatever it takes, I'm going to be a disciple. Then we have, there are two, there are two ends of the spectrum here. There is the, and, and, and I, I don't want to, I don't want to be mean here, but, but the implication is clear here. The fool who didn't count the cost. You started to build a building. You didn't even know how much it was, and now you're, stu- you're stuck halfway, or you went to battle. You didn't even think about the logistics of facing an army twice the size, and, and, and now you're stuck asking for peace after you went out to war. I mean, like, that's, that's foolishness. You didn't count the cost, but... But then we've got the, the person who, who has counted the cost and said, uh, yeah, okay, that's too much. And so for us, the question is, I would hope, or the, the response would be, okay, I've counted the cost. And God, it's whatever you want me to do. How tight are we holding on to the things in our life? Um. Because that's the thing that the Lord wants. Is it my kids? Am I willing to say, God, I don't know what the life is going to be like on Iceland. Sometimes this goes through my head. All the things that my kids miss out on. We're on the road. We don't have, we don't have a home. 
they don't get to see their, their grandparents. And, and I, don't, I don't like talking about this, especially in front of them. But this is, these are things we talk about. And sometimes in my head, I focus on the things that they miss out on. But you know what is, has been, I remember very early on in deputation, a missionary wife told me this. The Lord has me on deputation. But he also has them on deputation. This is exactly where God would have them be. Iceland is exactly where God would have them be. And am I willing to say, God, you do with my children as you see fit. You allow them to experience things. You allow them to sacrifice things. But also, and it's not just sacrifice. The things that they go through, they, have, they are blessed beyond measure. The, people, the friends they're able to make, the places they're able to go, all of these many things. What is it in my life, though, that I'm holding on to tightly? Or, or make it personal, and I, and I hope you are. What is it that you're holding on to in your life? This takes a little bit of meditation, I think, sometimes. This takes a little bit of self-evaluation. What is it in my life? And it's the thing, it's probably the thing you don't want to think about, right? You're sitting there and you're praying and it pops into your head and you immediately push it out of your head. You do that? Maybe I'm the only person. No, 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 let's not talk about that right now. I don't want to think about that. Let's move on. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's the thing you're holding on to. Maybe God's saying, hey, right, right, right there. That's it. So, so let's look at some passages here. Luke chapter 18. So, some of the the costs that we will have to pay in our determination to follow Christ. Luke chapter 18, verse 18. And a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? This is an interesting question, uh, which we would answer very singularly. Right? This is a, oh man, what a wonderful question. Someone asked me about eternal life. I've got an answer. Christ answered it differently than all of us would answer because Christ knew the inner thoughts of this man. And Jesus said to him, why callest thou me good? None is good save one that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother. And he said, all these things have I kept from my youth up. I'm sure that's true. Now, when Jesus heard these things, he said to them, Yet lackest thou one thing. Sell all that thou hast, and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. He is offering discipleship to this young ruler. Follow me. What happened when he told uh, uh, John, James and John to follow him? They left their nets, and they followed him. He asked this man, I mean, these, these questions are, are, this is kind of difficult. Sell all that thou hast, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. This was, Christ knew the answer this, of this before he even asked the question. But what he is revealing to the young ruler is that what the young ruler was holding tightly to without being willing to give up were the riches or the comfort in his life. This is a cost that we must be willing to pay to give up the comfort that we have, the comfort in our life. This is something that all of us struggle with. We have the things that we like, and are we willing to sacrifice them? We could look at all of these points, and I'm not going to take the time to do this, but we could look at all of these things that we hold on to in our life, and we could look at the contrast of this. When, when we follow Christ, Christ is the comfort in our life. 
Right? It's not like we live in a comfortless existence when we follow Christ. Christ is all that we need. He is the comfort and he brings the peace and joy to us. Go over to Luke chapter 22. This is Peter. We're very familiar and I won't read the entire passage. But Peter is faced with something. And he is a loud and boisterous individual who proclaims very quickly these things. And this was probably most of us as young men. Who they, he proclaims very quickly the things that he knows to be true. Right? He knows without any doubt that he would follow Christ to the death. Oh, I would follow you to the death. I won't let anybody hurt you, Christ. And in Luke chapter 22, he is faced with the opportunity to speak up and say, yes, I am one of his disciples. Jesus is being tried, and he's standing off. We know the story, and they, they come to him, and they say, you, you are one of them. He is faced with the cost of maybe his own personal safety in this moment. And do you know what he holds on to? He holds on to that safety. Ah, it could be, it could be a little dangerous there. I could get hurt, my family could get hurt, and he held on to his safety. And what does Christ promise us? How many times in Psalms did David cry out to the Lord for safety, for deliverance? But Peter didn't want to let Christ have that. He was holding on to it. It was too dear to him, it was too important for him to give over to the Lord. And in that moment, he was not willing to be a disciple of Christ. It's so amazing to see the transformation of Peter within the course of, of multiple weeks. From a man who, who rejected Christ and who said, I am not one of them, to one just a few uh, chapters, I guess, later in, in Acts, I guess books over, but it's not that long in the grand scheme of things, who was so willing to boldly proclaim the truth of Christ. But in this moment, he was not willing. And he was holding tightly to that safety. Luke chapter 9, which this idea we already read in, in our text. Verse 59, And he said unto another, Follow me. He has offered that to all of us. That phrase right there, follow me. He said it to all of us. His desire is that we would follow him. Nate, follow me. My way is best. My blessings are abundant. He has asked us to follow him. What is our response? Here's this man's response. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. What's wrong with that? All of us in here, wouldn't we say the same, ask the same question? And I'm not saying you shouldn't ask the question. But this man was holding tightly to something that he did not want to give to the Lord. There are hard things that we are might have to give up in our life. I was just with a missionary a couple weeks ago whose father was a pastor in Canada and who died just in the past four weeks. 
and she could not go to his funeral um, due to visa restrictions, and they were out of Canada due to the mission work. That's tough. What are we willing to give up? I'm listening to the, I don't know if that means I'm a millennial when I'm listening to a book now instead of reading them. Most of my books are now listening to, uh, and I, when you spend a million hours in the car, that's kind of the best way to do it. I'm listening to, and maybe you've read it, Jim Elliott's journals, which were compiled by his wife, Elizabeth Elliott. How many of you are familiar with Jim Elliott? I would hope most of you guys, if you aren't, you need to, to uh, read about him and um, the other for including Nate Saint, who's the best of the group because of his name. Um, but Jim Elliott, in his journals, and, and it's this, Jim Elliott was an amazing, an amazing man. Um, his mind was just, from a very early age, it was so sharp, and it was tuned towards the gospel. He went to Wheaton College outside of Chicago, and he met Elizabeth. Uh, I don't remember her maiden name at the time, but he was going to be a missionary. He had no interest in women, like they were, that, they were going to be in the way of him getting to the mission field, so he had no interest. But the Lord brought Elizabeth Elliot into his life, and he struggled, and both of them actually struggled with the, relation, the idea of a relationship because both of them wanted to be missionaries. And both of them came to the understanding that er, before college that being married would restrict the opportunity they had to be a witness in the mission fields that they wanted to go to. And so they had, what they had done is they had said, okay, God, we won't, we will stay away from marriage. That's, I mean, I don't know how many people would do that, but so then they got close and their relationship started building and they still struggled with this. And one of the parts of the journal, I wish I had written down the quote, it's so good. Jim uh, tells Elizabeth, he said, let us offer our relationship on the altar to Christ. And if Christ chooses to consume it with fire, then let us, faith, let us faithfully follow him wherever he leads. They were, they were drawing close. And he was willing to say, God, following you is more important than anything in my life. And we know the story. They obviously got married. They were married for three years, I think, before Jim, Jim died. He was willing both of them were willing, saying, God, there is nothing in my life that is more important than you. There is nothing in my life that I'm holding on that you can't have. And this is a tough one because it's so easy and it's natural to hold on to our family. And we protect them. We should. We are commanded to. We're commanded to teach them and disciple them and to, to help them walk with Christ. But if we are holding them from Christ himself, we are limiting them along with limiting ourselves. What are we holding on to? John chapter 6 will be done here. What is the cost that we are not willing to pay in following Christ. Comfort, safety, family. In John chapter 6, I won't read the whole passage here, but Christ is speaking of this very difficult topic. And, and, and part of what he's doing, I believe, is to, to separate the wheat from the chaff. 
those who are true disciples from those who really aren't disciples. And so he talks about this idea of, uh, well, I'll read, I'll read a couple verses here. Verse 60, many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, he talked about uh, eating the bread and drinking the blood. All right, this is very difficult, and, and I don't have time to get into that uh, right now. But when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? What? And if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before, it is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. He here is speaking of this difficult topic and many disciples leave. Verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Do you know that there are things in the Bible that are difficult to understand? The Bible is filled with things. Do you know what it takes for us to understand them? It takes a relationship with Christ. You know who Part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to reveal God's word to us. That is a ministry of the Holy Spirit. And if you are a saved believer, the Holy Spirit dwells within you. God himself, in the form of the Holy Spirit, lives within you. And he reveals his truth to you. But we read something in the Bible. Just the other day, me and my family had a discussion. I love it when we have this uh, signal thread uh, this text thread on Signal, and, and uh, they had a, a question, a biblical question, and so we talked about it. There are things in the Bible, and sometimes we read something in the Bible, and we're like, what was that? What did I just read? And some, there are some believers who say, they think they understand it, or they don't understand it at all. They say, well, you know, whatever. I don't have time for that. I don't want to, I don't want to, if I can't understand it, I don't want to believe it. And there's some, there's a certain truth to that, but it takes time. Do you know what many of us as Christians are? We are, we are, we lack knowledge. And we can't blame anyone but ourselves. We can't blame our pastor. Right? His desire is that you would seek God on your face daily, seeking to know him and walk with him. We lack knowledge. And because of our lack of knowledge, we go back and walk no more with him. Our generation, I believe, that there are many, and it's probably been every generation, Christians have struggled with a shallow understanding of God and his word. It's five minutes a day is not going to cut it. Sometimes it takes a verse, and you just meditate on that verse. God, help me to understand that verse. I mean, to understand this passage. I, I don't, there are times I'll read through, and I, I remember when I was pastoring, I was preaching through a book, and I got to a passage, and I'm like, I don't know what that is talking about. And I had to skip it. And it took me like five weeks to get back to it. Because it was tough for me to comprehend. Don't be scared of that. 
Don't be scared of the depth of what God has in his word. Spend time with it. That's what he is seeking. That's what he wants from us, is us to have a deep, rooted knowledge in his word so that we can withstand the attacks of Satan, so that we can withstand the false preaching that we hear all throughout. I mean, you go to YouTube and you see all sorts of damaging preaching being done. And we are, we are blown about with every wind of doctrine because we are not rooted in God's word. And we don't follow him. I mean, that keeps us from following him because we have no knowledge and the things that are tough to hear or sometimes maybe it's a thing that is tough to hear that your pastor says in love and we say, nope, that's too much. I'm done. Are we willing to count the cost and say, okay, I'm going forward. God, I'm following you. Whatever it is you would have me do, don't, don't, I hope you're not stuck in the rut of thinking that I'm talking of just mission fields because that's not what we're just talking about. We're talking about life. Living your life, following God wherever he leads, however he leads. Have we counted the cost? Write down a list of the most precious things in your life, the things most important to you. Am I willing to give that up for God? Am I willing to offer that to God? I mean, just this simple, shallow example in my life where God has had, I've had some victory. When we surrendered to the mission field, we had a house. I was pastoring at the time, and, and it wasn't a quick thing. I, I mean, we prayed about it for probably a year uh, before we did it. And so as we started getting out of our heart, house, we were kind of separating, you know, stuff we keep, stuff we're going to take to Iceland, stuff we need right now. And keep, uh, whatever, stuff we get rid of, stuff we need for ice and stuff we need right now. Uh, hopefully I, I, I'm right there. Anyways, we had like three different piles. And the pile in uh, the stuff we get rid of, you know, is kind of a small pile. And, uh, we, we need this. You can talk yourself into a lot of things as you're going through the stuff you've accumulated. Yeah, we need that. And, but as we, I mean, this was like six months. We, we were doing this process. And as we got along, it was like, no, we really don't need that. And it was, I had one last holdout. It was my guns. I need, I am an American. I need my guns. And, and God is not against guns. Right? Well, okay, let's not get into this topic. But I had my guns, and they were not in the things I don't need pile, right? As they should be not, should not be in that pile. I had to hold on to them. And, and I could go into the detail on the gun laws in ice and your loud guns are very restricted. You can't take a gun over there until you're a citizen, which is like a seven to 10 year process. It was a big thing. Giving those guns and saying, okay, God, here you go. That was difficult. I, I, they were nice guns. Uh, they were really nice to shoot. Um, but God wanted them. He wanted them. That's little. But the, the relationship that I had with Christ, because I was willing to give up something, and I wasn't at first, but he got it. I gave it to him. You will always have a restricted relationship with Christ as long as you're holding on to something. 
It will never be like it can. You'll never walk with Christ as you can if you're holding on to something. You absolutely cannot be a disciple of Christ if you are holding on to something. You know what he tells us? To take our cross and follow him. This was before, they didn't have the context that we have for the cross. All right, they didn't know their savior was going to be crucified on the cross. That was how slaves died. That was how murderers died. And being willing to put ourselves in that. We are slaves. Paul defines it. We are slaves to the cross. We are slaves to Christ. Take up my cross and follow him. Whatever it means, whatever I have to give up, whatever I lose, whatever it is, God, I have counted the cost and I am willing to follow you. Don't be the person that counts the cost. Says, that is too much. I believe that's where many Christians are. It doesn't mean you have to go to the mission field. Maybe. Maybe. Ooh, maybe Iceland. It could be worse places. Right? I couldn't go to Africa. It's too hot. India. Brother, it's too hot there. I think, right? It's hot. Okay, yeah. I, I, 80 degrees? I'm like, oh, this is too hot. Texas. That's why Texas was so terrible. It was hot there. Did you know it's hot in Texas? I do. It's hot. It's no good. There could be worse places. I'm not talking about being a missionary. I'm talking about saying, God, I want to follow you. Ask yourself the hard questions. I encourage you to go home and write down a list of your things. These are a few of my favorite things. And are you holding on to those? And be honest, no one's listening. It's just you you're lying to. God knows. Are you willing to give it up? Are you willing to say, God, this is my, my most dearest possession? Here, take it. That's how he's going to use us. That's how we're going to reach the world with the gospel of Christ is if we choose to be disciples willing to give everything up for him. Let's pray. God, this is a topic I need, something I struggle with. God, I pray that you would help me to follow you, not just in, in word, but in deed, giving up the things that are dearest to me, most important to me, Help me to take up my cross and follow you. In your name we pray, amen, Pastor.